You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Making food look as good as it tastes is an art. Uh, It takes a little practice, but everybody can do it. And setting a pretty table, too. Everybody can do that. Little knack here, a little nick there. You know know what I mean. Entertaining guru Martha Stewart. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, many of us attended barbecues or reunions or other big events over the 4th of July holiday weekend. Now, if you hosted such an event, you probably came to realize just how much planning goes into something like that. Maybe you could have used a little professional advice. Well, there may literally be no one in America better known for her expertise in entertaining and decorating and such than Martha Stewart. For more than 40 years, Stewart has been dispensing advice on everything from generally entertaining to menus to cooking to decorating and such. A series of best-selling books, a magazine, a television show have propelled her to the forefront. And you know you have reached the pinnacle of success when you are endlessly parodied on Saturday Night Live. But I've actually interviewed her several times, and... The public perception of her isn't necessarily what I've seen. She, she's always been very nice and pleasant with me. We talked in 1994 about her book, Martha Stewart's Menus for Entertaining. So here now, from 1994, Martha Stewart. It's um, a simple bunch of menus. They're really 20 menus uh, made to uh, make entertaining at home a little bit more enjoyable. What we're trying to do here is not make entertaining onerous in any way. Uh, some of these are complicated in length. You know, you might say, oh, I can't make 20 different dishes because we have, uh, like in the pasta party, there are at least 20 variations that you could create from all those uh, ingredients. But the whole setup is really easy. And really delicious. Well, if you've got a block of houses and everybody's going to chip in and have one big party and everybody cooks a few things, so it's easily handleable. Right. And that's a, the, these menus also lend themselves to that kind of party. How did you decide the, the groupings? I mean, what uh, the, you've got 20. How did you decide which? Well, when I finished uh, writing Entertaining, my first book, mm-hmm. 13 years ago, it's, it's, has, it's having its 13th birthday <laughs> this month, um, I started on my next book, which is, oh, I mean, I've written a lot of books in between, but my next Entertaining book, which is this book. And really, it's a compilation of my favorite kinds of meals, uh, meals that I actually do serve my friends at my house. So and they and they obviously each has or, or many of them have have little themes to them. Oh yes, there's a um, simply Chinese, which is a compilation of my favorite Chinese dishes learned from friends and from uh, people who have worked with me. Uh, there's also a um, a wonderful clam bake, which I do annually for my magazine staff on the beach by my house in East Hampton, and that is totally delicious and totally doable. Uh, the whole idea of this book is to make menus that are doable menus that won't intimidate, won't really um, make you feel like you're inadequate in any way. You don't have to do the entire menu, as I said. You can do parts of it. Um, Some of those desserts in the dessert menu (laughs) can be added to any meal and make a highlight of that meal. I have been looking forward to making those those little individual fruit pies. Oh, they are so fun. That little girl, there's a picture of a little girl (laughs) holding a fruit pie. Well, she ate three of them. (laughs) That's why we took her picture. Because she just, I mean, 
all of a sudden she had finished their third little pie. They're, they're five-inch pies, and that's not so small. But, and, and your recipe, which looks amazingly simple, makes 30 of them. Yeah. Yeah, not hard. Whoa. <laughs> but it's the, the major thing about that recipe is that the fruit be deliciously fresh and ripe. So you make them out of nectarines, blueberries, peaches, plums, uh, seasonal fruits. You can do it any time of year because there's always apples. Uh, that are good and tart and tasty. There's always berries. So this filling can be anything, but it's the flaky pastry and the size of the pie that makes it sort of unique. Well, the fresh ingredients, is, is that goes without saying with, with all your recipes, doesn't it? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, my recipes are based on the use of fresh ingredients. Uh, rarely do I use anything that is not fresh or, you know, uh, or freshly frozen. How long do you keep from having to shop every day? Well, um, by having a very adequate pantry, uh, my book Quick Cook, uh, which came out a few years ago, uh, is still a very good book in terms of instructing us on how to make a good, useful pantry at home. A pantry that can, um, if you come home with just uh, string beans and tomatoes, will enable you to make a really good meal in a matter of minutes. So I try to have a pantry on hand, pasta, rice, grains, uh, the specific oils and uh, vinegars that you need for dressings, um, a certain number of relishes and salsas and things in your refrigerator. Uh, so it's a, it's a, not a hard process once you get into the habit of cooking at home and cooking well. So I think that's what drives a lot of people crazy at entertaining time is not so much that there is necessarily a great deal that has to be done, but it all has to be done at once. Well, yeah, but then you have to learn how to structure your time the day before and the day of your party. Um, make lists if you have to. If you can't keep it in your head, I really advocate making a little list of, uh, of a timetable. And, you know, that helps you a know, lot. I have to tell you what I did at Thanksgiving. Was what did you I, have? Because in my radio training, we back time everything. We right. figure out what time everything has to be done, you know, the top of the hour to meet right. the head. And we just start to back time. So but that's I did, the exact right way to do it. That's, so I so I decided, all right, we're going to eat at 1 o'clock. All right. So we back time. How, when does the turkey have to go in? And then when do the mashed potatoes start? When does the stuffing exactly. start? And things like that. And if I do say so myself, everything worked out pretty good. Good. What'd you have? Uh, the traditional, you know, the turkey, the mashed potatoes, stuffing. on And everything was done on time. Excellent. <laughs> Well, congratulations, but that is the best way. Yeah, and now some of these, obviously, things you can make the day before or oh, the sure. night before or two and days some of them, Yeah, and some of them can be put in the freezer. Mm -hmm. uh, some, of, some of the cakes, uh, some of the pastry doughs can be made in advance uh, if you're going to uh, the venison bourguignon. Now, that's that sounds a little esoteric. It's, you know, reindeer or deer <laughs> meat, um, but... Um, really good for you. You know, low in cholesterol. Um, uh, and I used a farm-raised venison, but it's like the traditional bœuf bourguignon, but it's a delicious stew that actually tastes better a day or two after it's made. You add the mushrooms the day of your party, you know, and and, and garnish it and sprinkle the fresh herbs in after, at, on the day of your party. But it is excellent. Well, is there just some chemical change that makes some foods taste better the second time? Well, uh, in, a, in a case like the, the bourguignon, you're actually really marinating after it's cooked. There's a red wine in there. So, you you know, it, it makes it taste better. It absorbs the flavors and the flavors are then, you know, d more evenly distributed. But, uh, but then some things really have to be cooked at the moment. And that's, uh, and that's another timing, um, organizational kind of thing. Well, I would guess pasta is particularly critical. Well, yes, but in this pasta party, I show how you can parboil your pasta so it is Almost done. 
all the raviolis and all the uh, different shapes of pasta, the um, tortellinis and everything else. Then you keep those in bowls, just dressed slightly with olive oil, and uh, and then right before serving, as you're cooking, this is a this is a cooking at the stove kind of party. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you create in a in a in a skillet your sauce first. Uh, with the mushrooms and the peppers and the uh, tomatoes and whatever else, Swiss chard, pumpkin. I mean, you have all kinds of fillings uh, or toppings. And then you make your sauce and then you have a pot of boiling water. And with a big strainer, you immerse the serving size of pasta, heat it up, finish that cooking, and then add it to the sauce and serve it. So it's really easy. And that's the way they do it in restaurants. So I'm adapting some restaurant techniques to home cooking, which make a lot of sense. After this short break, Martha Stewart's ideas on how to stimulate your entertaining imagination. Now back to my 1994 conversation with Martha Stewart. It, it, yeah, it is just a matter of sometimes adapting what somebody else has done. You get uh, the chapter in barbecue, yeah. where you just have to kind of you, you can't have it the original way, not unless you're but willing to go to the expense. But it's original, <laughs> yes. and it is really good. <laughs> and this this really covers as as I expected it would the, the whole year round, uh, everything from the outdoor, from the clam bake or the barbecue or whatever, all the way on up through the, your Christmas, New Year's parties, things oh, like yes, that. Yes, yes. And for um, say New Year's Eve, a really nice menu in this book is um, starts with potato pancakes you know the latkes it's a it's an ethnic dish it's uh, but it's becoming very popular and what it is is just freshly grated potatoes with a very simple mixture of salt and pepper and egg and the way that you cook them is special and the way that you serve them with a topping of pink applesauce sour cream or creme fraiche and maybe if you like it caviar makes a, a especially delicious new year's eve supper or a first course for a lunch or, a, or even a breakfast now i'm i'm assuming that the the You're getting hungry very much <laughs> it's way too early in the day to be getting this hungry this fast you know the the plates the the uh, the saucers the glasses in which you serve everything is just as important as the food isn't it well to me it is and that's why um pictorially this book is really great because i i never never um show a dinner without the table setting, without the ideas that go behind the entertaining feeling of the menu. I really think that that's very important. Making food look as good as it tastes is an art. Uh, It takes a little practice, but everybody can do it. And setting a pretty table, too, everybody can do that. And it's just a little knack here, a little nick there. You know you know what I mean? It's just a little flower arrangement. It may be just a row of flowers in tiny little whiskey glasses, a single flower per glass that makes that table special. But and see, then, I think and, a lot of us have been told, though, that there is a particular way you have to set the table. And that's the way you set the table. Well, I still put my forks on the left and my knife and spoon on the right, okay? I still fold my napkins. They may be folded in unusual ways, but, but it's not a big deal for me. But I always have cotton napkins or linen napkins that don't scratch your mouth and that are still absorbent. Not those polyester kinds of things that, that really don't serve as napkins if you, you know, it's important to have and a paper good napkin. has no place at your table. Well, you know, on a barbecue... Uh, paper would be fine. 
But I am, uh, you know, I'm of the mind that, f- that fabric napkins are good and they can be laundered and re- reused. So I'm very anxious to promote uh, that kind of environmental feeling to my table. Uh, and I also use lots of things on the table as decoration that may seem unusual, but but um, a bowl of fresh cut herbs from the herb garden or the herb pot makes a very pretty centerpiece and fragrant, and it doesn't inc- require you to go out and spend a lot of money on flowers. So a pumpkin, a squash, a gourd, anything like that can make a really pretty arrangement without an an added expense, and then you can eat it the next day. (laughs) It did occur to me. I mean, you've got some very imaginative – the pumpkin that you had carved in the checkerboard uh, pattern. I would have never thought – see, that's the thing. I think my my, somewhere along the line, my imagination, which is, I think – on an average par with everybody else's, has somewhere been stunted by this idea that there's only one thing you can do with a pumpkin. That's carve a face into it, set it out at Halloween. Right, but what we try to do always um, in my books, in my magazine, um, is to give alternative ideas and variety to life. You know, they always say variety is the spice of life. And guess what? It means a lot to a lot of people to be able to not be bored, not to do the rote thing. It's really important to expand. And that's what, that's why the whole f- field of living and lifestyle has become rather, uh, important these days. People really want to enhance their everyday life. And what we're trying to do with a book like Menus for Entertaining, with my magazine, with the new holidays book. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. You know, this is, this is just to give more and more ideas so that you can experiment, you can try, you can, uh, and I always say my new motto, you guess what it is? It's very funny. It's, um, you don't have to do everything, but you do have to do something. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one to use on my kids, I think. Indeed. And children (laughs) appreciate that. Well, sometimes their imaginations are not as shackled as mine have been by the by the what, and thank what, what you have to do right. you know, over the years. Have they been eating pomegranates? No. Well, you know what? It'd be really fun for you to stop on your way home from work today, buy them a pomegranate each. <laughs> pomegranates are my father called them Chinese apples. He, this is what he did to me. He brought me home what he called a Chinese apple. And it is a beautiful red fruit filled with ruby red, yeah, I've seen them sour, stores, sweet yeah. berries. And you have to cut it open, just cut through the skin with a sharp knife, break it open into quarters, and let the children sit. And you have to really kind of cover them up and put them at the kitchen table. Don't let them go elsewhere. And show them how to eat the seeds. I did this just a couple of weeks ago to a friend, uh, a son, uh, the son of my lawyer. And um, Trevor never ate a piece of fruit in his life. He didn't even like <laughs> apples. Well, now he's addicted to pomegranates. They're full of vitamin C, ascorbic acid. They mm. couldn't be better for you. And they are beautiful. And it has opened up a whole new world. Last night, I was ta- um, talking to Larry King, and I mentioned blood oranges. He had never heard of blood oranges. Blood oranges, when you cut them open, are bright red, dark red. And the juice, when you squeeze them, is dark red. So it looks like tomato juice. But Trevor called me up. He said, how come you never told me about blood oranges? <laughs> now, this is this little seven-year-old kid who is just, you know, now he's really inquisitive. So one introduction makes a big difference. That's true. That's what we try to do. So if kids listen, adults should listen too. <laughs> I did make a recipe last year with eggplant in it. And my kids, if I brought home, if they'd, know, if they'd known ahead of time what that was that was in that stew that I made, they probably wouldn't have eaten it. But they said, whoa, this is great, Dad. Right. <laughs> they need exposure just as That's we right. need exposure. So what I'm always trying to do is expose new ideas, create new ways to do things. Always I'm, – I'm very traditional, but I am always doing that in a slightly different way to keep the interest peaked. 
Martha Stewart will be 82 next month. She lives in New York. And you can get Martha Stewart's Menus for Entertaining by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And that, by the way, is also where you'll hear my 1999 interview with the operator of the Barefoot Contessa, Ima Garten. I think it's just about taking really good ingredients and enhancing them. That's really what cooking is for me. It's not about so much about the art of layering flavors and, and trying new things. And as you're getting ready for your next summer barbecue, be sure to listen to my 2009 interview with Emeril. They take it right out of the refrigerator, right onto the grill, and they wonder why it sticks. Then they wonder why it's all charred before it's cooked internally because it's on so high. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Would you do me a favor? If you liked today's interview, would you please tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? I'd sure be grateful. Now, next time on Now I've Heard Everything with baseball's all-star game approaching, we'll revisit my 1989 conversation with one of the country's leading experts on the language of baseball, Paul Dixon. Baseball, for what it is, I mean, it's basically a 19th century game played in the pasture with a bunch of guys in knickers trying to hit a, a ball with a stick. I mean, what's amazing is the influence that has had. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.